Well, good morning, Grace Church, and happy Easter. It's great to be with you today. It, I mean, it's a beautiful, it couldn't be any more beautiful. I hope you had a chance to experience that even on just your way in from the parking lot. It is an amazing day. Matter of fact, today is the day that we celebrate the greatest day in all of history, right? So we come together and we proclaim this good news that we've heard all about, all through scripture is pointing us to this particular moment that we're talking about just right now, right here, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now the resurrection is, like I said, the the greatest event in all of history. And so we, we come together, not just to say the words, but to proclaim them as the truth of what we not only have heard, but what we believe and what we have experienced, that, that Jesus was crucified for our sins. He was dead and he was buried and he rose again on the third day, just like he said he would. And because of that, we have the freedom that is only made possible by what he has done for us. My name is Bob Bryce. For those of you I haven't had a chance to meet uh, yet, I'm one of the pastors here. And so if this is your first time here, a special welcome. Uh, Maybe you're here because you you just couldn't wait to get to church. Maybe you were somewhat uh, dragged here against your will. Either way, We don't believe that it is by accident that you are here, but it is by the power of God's Holy Spirit who continues to call his body together, his his church together, all surrounded by this promise of the resurrection of Jesus. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless And so is your faith. That's Paul in 1 Corinthians. If there is no resurrection, then your faith is useless. Have a good one, everybody. Okay, so the resurrection of Jesus. We call that good news. We call that good news. But do we also believe that it's true news? Is it true news. Because for 2,000 years now, Christians have continued to make this this completely ridiculous claim that, that a dead man rose again from the dead and came to set us free from whatever it is that is burdening us. He came to set us free from sin and from shame and from fear and from doubt and from the devil and all his schemes and plans And he has come to even free us from death itself. The promise is that death is not the end. We just sang about it. Death was arrested so that our lives can begin. Our new life in him begins by this miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is it it good news? Yes. But is is it true news? In other words, do you believe it? Do you actually believe it? Let me ask it another way. When it comes to Jesus, is your Jesus dead or alive? This is is good. We're getting off to a good start. I want you to continue to wrestle with that question. Is your Jesus, is who you're looking for, dead 
or alive. Because in this world, we are way more skeptical than ever. And it's not, of course, without good reason, right? We, we don't really know who's telling us, us the truth anymore. We don't know who we can trust. And so when it comes to the, uh, the resurrection, we think, well, you're just talking about uh, people outside the church. We're not people, no, no, no. Not that many years ago, I went to a conference of, uh, well, I won't say who, but it was a religious conference, bunch of uh, folks there, and one of the breakout sessions, the discussion table, the topic was, is it really necessary to believe that the resurrection happened in order to be a Christian? And so skepticism inside the church, inside the church, well, we might think that this is new and might think this, well, this is all postmodern. No, this, this, this wrestling that everybody does with the resurrection, just the idea of resurrection, well, it's been a topic of discussion for a lot longer than you and I have been on this earth. Matter of fact, the Jewish people themselves had different ideas of what resurrection uh, was, how it, would be, how it would happen, and even whether or not there would be a resurrection. There were different groups of people, the Pharisees, they believed in a, in a resurrection, but they believed that that resurrection was at the end of all time and that everybody would be raised simultaneously at the same time. That's, that's the kind of resurrection understanding they had. But then you have the, uh, the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection at all. They didn't believe in the resurrection at all, and so they were Sadducee. <laughs> you can feel free to use that one. It's good. So there wasn't even agreement amongst uh, the, the Jewish people as to what, what should we think about this resurrection. But even the ones that did believe that there would be a resurrection, nobody, nobody believed that it would happen in the, some point in the middle of history with one particular person that sort of kicks it all off. That was never on anybody's radar. No, nowhere did people think it was Mr. Resurrection, party of one, Mr. Resurrection, party of one. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Nobody thought that was possible. It didn't meet anyone's expectations. And yet, as is the case with Jesus, he doesn't meet our expectations. And so just like this, he defied our expectations. Once again, he was not only raised from the dead, for real, but then he started appearing to other people in his resurrected body. He started hanging out with people from, from before. It's not just like uh, one person made this up or two people or a group of people made this up and they cooked this up all together and this was just a wonderful scheme and it was a legend and it was a fairy tale and it just grew over time and, and then we started to think, well, Jesus is alive even though he wasn't really. No, that's, that's not what happened. We have again and again and again in scripture, we see that the resurrection is something that was witnessed by people. Jesus comes to these people and everything changes just based on that encounter. Paul, the apostle, goes through this list in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I read a little, little bit out of just a minute ago. But before that, before what I read, he talks about how the resurrected Christ appeared to all these people. He goes through this big list of people. Talks about he appeared to Simon and then the, 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 the disciples. And, and then 500 people at the same time. But one of the people in that list that he mentions, I think is really interesting. James. James, who is Jesus' brother. Okay? James. He appeared to James. Now, James 
was not an original disciple of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you have a brother. I know that, uh, you know, I have two boys, they're brothers. And if one of them suddenly started claiming to be the son of God, the other one would be like, you're going to want to check into that. I've been with this. I don't know about any of this, but you're going to have to verify that. And so for James to be in this list, you know, he was skeptical all along. He thought his brother, well, there's no way. He's insane. He's lost it. And then when the resurrected Jesus shows up to his brother, James, guess what? James is all in. He's all in. If, please, if your brother comes back from the dead, right? So James is the last person that you would think would actually believe in this miracle of the resurrection. And yet, there he is because Jesus appeared to him, was with him, was with him. And so it changed everything. No matter why you're coming here today, no matter what you think about the resurrection, you're here for a reason. Maybe you're here because, well, you believe that the resurrection is good news. Yes, it's also true news. You believe that this is a real event. It really happened. And that's awesome. That's what I believe too. But then you might, and we're not going to take a show of hands, but maybe you're here today and you're wondering, well, I don't know about all that. Maybe it's true, but it's sort of true like figuratively. Maybe it's, it's not literally true. It's just, it's kind of something that's been evolved and sort of shaped over time. But that's really not how this works. If you look at the, the evidence we have and what we know about the people who ran around proclaiming this good news, a great majority of these people were beaten, tortured, suffered, and died for that faith, for that claim, for that proclamation. They took it. James, talk about all in. He was all in all the way to his own execution. He believed that much. And so this idea that the resurrection is just a fairy tale, well, even basic history doesn't support that. Because if you're running around making claims that aren't true, well, guess what? You could get a stop put to that right away. Maybe not today in our environment. You can apparently lie and tell it and spread it and do whatever you want. But in those particular times, uh, there wasn't Facebook. There wasn't social media. There was no internet. There wasn't anything like that. So if you walk around making crazy claims, somebody will find a way to put a stop to that. And yet here we are 2,000 years later talking about this experience that these people witnessed and that each of us can have, maybe not in exactly the same way, but be assured that Jesus is very much alive and he still comes to meet you and me. And he's doing that right now in this place as we're together. Maybe you hear the idea of a resurrection and you think, well, this just, in whatever form you're talking about it, it just sounds preposterous. And so I hope no matter why you're here, no matter how you got here, and no matter what you believe, that you understand that you're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason. The Holy Spirit is calling out to you today. And so let's, let's just take a moment now together and pray for the Lord to do what only he can do right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you with great expectation. We come to you on this Easter morning with great expectation. We're eagerly looking and waiting to see what you will do. 
Lord, we ask you to move in mighty ways in this place. That we don't just hear information, that we don't think it's just about reformation, but that we experience transformation, the kind of transforming truth and love that only comes through your grace and mercy, not because we deserve it, but because of your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that that the miracle of the resurrection sealed the promise of who you said you are all along. And Lord, now we, we lean into you and ask you to touch our hearts, change our lives, bring us out of the death and the darkness of sin and into the light of new life with you, with Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, so all four Gospels, uh, we talked about this last week, all four Gospels uh, tell this whole account of Jesus' ministry, and then it's kind of like over three years, three years, three years, three years, and then it stretches out over this last week of Jesus' earthly life. All four of the Gospels tell about this resurrection miracle, and they all tell it in in a lot of similar ways. There's a lot of the commonalities between all four of these, but there's also the, each writer chose to emphasize slightly different details about it. And so you really kind of have to look at all four of these resurrection accounts to get a more full picture. But we're going to primarily focus today, since we're going through the book of John together, we're going to look at John chapter 20 and specifically at verses 1 to 18. John 20 verses 1 to 18. So if you brought your Bible, you can get that out and follow along. Also, the, uh, the scripture will be on the screens, so you can check that out as well. But I just want to start by reading this account from John chapter 20, and then we'll dive in. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they have taken away the Lord, they have taken the Lord out of his tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along right behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw that the strips of linen were lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went inside or went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. 
And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, the first thing I'd like to point out here is that whether it's Mary Magdalene, whether it's Simon Peter, whether it's the disciple that Jesus loved, whether it's any of the followers of Jesus, all of the disciples, all of the people that were following him, all of them believed that Jesus was dead. They all believed Jesus was dead. Not kind of dead, but dead, dead. They saw it. They were there. They saw him nailed to a Roman cross. They watched him die. They saw him buried in a tomb. Not all of them saw them buried in a tomb because most of them, especially the men, all cleared out before the end of it. But there were a few women that stuck around. Mary Magdalene, we just heard. She was, she was the last one at the cross and the first one at the tomb. Re- remember that as we go through this. But no matter what, all of these people, all of them, all of them believed that was it. Game over. Jesus is dead. They saw it. They experienced it. They believed he was dead. So when they went to the tomb, they were expecting to find a dead Jesus. They were looking for a dead Jesus. And they just imagined what could have possibly gone wrong to have us in this position, right? Because this, this is not the way they believe things were supposed to work out. So from their perspective, there was a catastrophic mistake in all this. They're the leader of the guy that they left everything to go and follow, who they thought was the savior of the world, is dead and buried, and they're expecting to find his body in that tomb. But from God's perspective, the, the plan went exactly as he ordained it. For God's plan, it was exactly like it was supposed to be. But really, at the resurrection, the plan was just getting started. They thought it was over. And really, the miracle of the resurrection is that it was just actually beginning. So when they showed up, Mary showed up on the dark side of the dawn. Now remember, We've talked about this even through the four chapters that we've been through in John together. There's this this theme of coming out of the darkness and moving into the light, out of the darkness of sin into the light of life in Christ. Well, we see the same thing here with Mary Magdalene. She gets to the tomb and it's dark and it's just now getting light. So we see that theme again, out of the darkness into the light on the first day of the week. That first day of the week is a reference all the way back to creation, God creating on the first day. Everything is new in terms of this this first day, this day of resurrection. Things are new. Things are different. Things are unexpected. While they're looking for the body, Jesus is not there. But when they got there and they saw that the, the stone was rolled away from the front of the tomb, well, they of course, are afraid, they're nervous, what, what must have happened? And so the, the Matthew account talks about how the stone got rolled away, which was, it says there was this massive earthquake, and, and an angel of the Lord came and, and moved the stone away. And so when, when they got there and they saw the stone rolled away, you and I might think, okay, well, 
Maybe Jesus was locked in there. Maybe he needed to get out. I'm trying to get out here. Let me out. But no, Jesus doesn't need us to open the door to let him out. The stone was moved not for Jesus to get out, but for his followers to get in. His followers needed to get in so that they could experience this miracle of the resurrection. But again, they're, they're looking for a dead body. Jesus doesn't need anyone to let him out because he already has a resurrected body. He's not limited by the same things that you and I are limited by. He certainly wasn't limited by what limited them. He wanted to let them in so that they could see this miracle, this miracle of the empty tomb for themselves. Now, when we come, when, when we come to talking about the empty tomb, like you and I talk about the empty tomb, woo, we're cheering, we're, the tomb is empty, that's, that's something that we celebrate. But why do we celebrate that? Why do we celebrate the fact that the tomb was empty? Only because we know the rest of the story. We know how it turns out. But the people that experienced this at the time it was happening, when they got to the tomb and didn't find a dead Jesus, they were not celebrating. They were terrified. They were horrified. Someone stole his body. Where is Jesus? They were afraid. They were upset. And they were confused. Where was Jesus? And this is a totally understandable conclusion to come to when you're looking for a dead Jesus. When you're expecting a dead Jesus, then of course, what else would you think? They were on the way to find Jesus' body because they were going to prepare it for burial. They had perfume, spices. They were going there to do a service, like a proper burial service. When they get there, there's no body. When his body wasn't there, they were shocked. They ran, they told the other disciples, the other disciples come to see for themselves, and they were alarmed as well because here's the deal, nobody expected to find no body. Nobody expected to find no body. Now, no matter how many times Jesus had tried to explain what was going to happen to him and why it was going to happen to him, it, it, just, it, never, it never really was something that the disciples understood. And oftentimes you and I might not understand it either. But when he told them that he would willingly give up his life for the good of the sheep, that he was like the good shepherd who would lay down his life to protect the sheep, they didn't really understand what that meant. When, when he talked about uh, tearing the temple down and he will raise it again in three days, they didn't really understand. It didn't register. And oftentimes it doesn't register with us either. But I want, I want to try to put this in perspective because I think sometimes we don't understand at least enough, about what must it have been like to go to this tomb and not find a dead Jesus. If you and I went to a cemetery and we went to visit the grave of a loved one, and when we got there, there was all the dirt was piled up out of there and there was a big hole in the ground, and then we stood at the edge of the grave and we looked down in there and we see the casket down in there and the casket is open and there's nobody in it, what would you think? what would your conclusion be? Well, somebody stole the body. Somebody stole the body. Your, your first reaction wouldn't be resurrection. <laughs> That's not how it works. That was not the expectation. Even though Jesus had tried to explain it, they were not 
looking for that. They were looking for Jesus' dead body. But, of course, then the disciples, Simon Peter, and, and it talks about the, the disciple that Jesus loved. Many people think that's John, the writer of the gospel. Uh, but no matter who it is, they get there, they take a look in there, and then they take off, right? I, it's, it's always amazing to me to look in there. Okay. And then uh, that's it. But not Mary. Mary stays. Mary continues to seek answers. She wants to, she's searching for Jesus. She wants to find the answers. What is really going on here? And it's interesting because, because she keeps searching, because she keeps trying to find Jesus, then she's the first one to find the truth. Or, Or maybe I should say it this way. The truth is the first one to find her. The truth is the first one to find her. Look at uh, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I suddenly encountered a couple of angels... I'd be a little more freaked out. Honestly, I mean, when we see angels show up to people all throughout Scripture, what do they do? They hit the deck. They're terrified. And what does the angel almost always say? Hey, do not be afraid. Over and over again, do not be afraid. Well, Mary is having a conversation with a couple angels. Doesn't seem like any big deal. So could it be that she's overcome by her grief by her sadness, by her surprise, that she's just not really even paying that much attention to her surroundings. And I think when they ask her, why are you crying? I think they're actually trying to help her out. Like, I think it's supposed to be, we should read it kind of as like a a soft rebuke a little bit. Kind of like, you know, when my kid comes to me and says, oh, they skinned their knee or whatever. Maybe this was when they were a little younger. But what do you try to do? Oh, it's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Snap out of it. And maybe that's what the angels are trying to tell Mary here. Hey, snap out of it. It, it, Not everything is as it seems here. There's no need to cry. So just kind of snap out. But she doesn't snap out of it. She doesn't snap out of it because she's looking for and expecting to find a dead Jesus. They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. And here's where I think things really start to get even more interesting. She turns and she notices or feels the presence of someone else there. Now, this this happens to all of us, right? You know, you'll be somewhere and all of a sudden it kind of feels like someone has just kind of walked up beside you or behind you. You can just kind of feel their presence. But still, she does not recognize that the person standing there is Jesus. It's Jesus who's standing right, but she doesn't recognize him. And so we think about that and, and, and we wonder, well, it's especially interesting that it's Mary Magdalene who doesn't recognize. Mary is one of his closest and most committed followers. Uh, in, in Mark's account, Mark tells us that, uh, or reminds us, that Jesus cast seven demons from Mary Magdalene. And, and matter of fact, earlier in the book of Mark, Mark talks about how when, when Jesus did this, then Mary, at that moment, started following Jesus 
traveled with him, uh, was a big supporter, which means she probably was, was independently uh, wealthy for, for one reason or another. She was able to support the ministry. She was a big part of this ministry. And I suppose with all that, I, I need to just take a moment and say, Jesus and Mary Magdalene were not married. I know you guys probably have read the Dan, Dan Brown novels. I've had people that have come to me with the Dan Brown novel and want to talk to me about it as if it's a biography. Uh, but Jesus and Mary Magdalene are not married. Uh, we have no reason to believe that, that there was anything uh, nefarious or bad about Mary other than she was burdened by having demon possession of seven demons. We don't know why, we don't know how, but the church has not done Mary any favors. They, they've concluded, well, she must have been a prostitute, she must have been up to no good, she was an adulteress. What we've done as the church is we sort of merged all these stories together of these unnamed women, and we've said, oh, well, it, it must be Mary Magdalene, but there is no evidence that that is actually true. We just have this key supporter of Jesus' ministry who's right there and doesn't recognize Jesus, who she's been with all this time. She doesn't recognize him. Of all the people for Jesus to meet, why doesn't she recognize him? Well, Jesus, as usual, always has a way to get right to the heart of the matter. So he can see that she's not recognizing him. And so he starts doing what he usually does, asking questions. Verse 15, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Now, here's the key question I want us to, to focus on. Who is it you are looking for? Who is it that you're looking for? Now, now here it is, folks. L look at Mary's response in the second part of that verse. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. See, she is looking for a dead Jesus. And because she's looking for a dead Jesus, she doesn't realize or recognize that a very much alive Jesus is standing right next to her. And so today, when we think about this for us, it's also good news, not just for Mary, it's good news for us because, because Jesus is alive. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he stands right here in this place with you and I and asks us the same question. Who are you looking for? Is your Jesus dead or alive? Is your Jesus dead or alive? Because if you're looking for a dead Jesus, then it's just like we've already said. Just like Paul said, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. But if your Jesus is alive, then everything is different. Everything changes. If Jesus is alive, then the empty tomb is not a crime scene. It's not a grave robbery. It's where God's glory is seen. It's not a crime scene. It's where God's glory is seen. This is where the miracle is starting to be understood. Why? Not because the tomb is empty, but because Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up to Mary. The resurrection itself is what seals the promise and proves the faithfulness of God without any doubt. So who are you looking for? Now in verse 16, I think we find some of the most comforting, I know it's, it's just a little short 
blip on the radar here, but I think these little words here are some of the most comforting in all of Scripture. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And then she does something. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognized him. Why? Because he calls her by her name. He calls her by her name, Mary. Everything changes. This is really quite something. It's really quite something because the God of the universe, the God who created all that exists, created you, me, and everything, this God knows us by name. He came to Mary and called her by name. And then notice, what does she do? Well, when she hears him calling her name, she turns toward him. She turns toward him. And so if you're here today and you're feeling like somebody's calling my name, it is Jesus. Jesus is calling your name. He's calling you right here, right now. I I don't care if you've been a believer for your whole life or for as long as you can remember, or you've never heard of Jesus and this is the first time. He calls out to all of us. He calls out to all of us and he says, turn to me, follow me. I will give you new life. Why? Well, because he's alive. When we're looking for a Jesus that's alive, well, that's where we actually find hope. We find hope and we have hope because Jesus is hope. So do you hear him calling your name today? And and will you turn and follow him? Will you turn toward him? Because he is calling you right here and right now. Is, Is your Jesus dead or alive? Is your Jesus dead or alive. I I don't know what you're facing in your life right now, and I I don't need to know all the specifics, but I can tell you this. Jesus knows, and Jesus cares. He has not left you to deal with this on your own, whatever you're facing, whatever struggles you've had, whether it's sadness or sickness or pain or, or, or death. We've all had quite a year, haven't we? In one way or another, it's a year full of despair, It's a year full of of the darkness and the spread of sin, division, and destruction in ways that we probably never encountered in our lifetime. And yet, the goodness of God is that he came to us in the person of Jesus. He was sacrificed to pay the penalty for our sin. And he was raised again not for his benefit, but for our benefit, which is an amazing thing. And then he calls us to follow him by loving one another like he loves us. How are we doing at that? Can we turn to Jesus? Can we turn to Jesus? Can we follow him into the way that that he's calling us to live? Whatever that is for you. And maybe you're saying, well, right now, that's all great, but I'm, you don't know my circumstances. You don't, know, you don't know what I'm dealing with. I mean, this Jesus stuff is great, but I've got real problems. Well, rest assured that Jesus knows your problems. Why he's walked through all of this in just this last week that we've spent together talking about Jesus. He has encountered unimaginable sadness, rejection, betrayal from the 
people who were closest to him, to the people that, that said, I will never deny you. He experienced pain on a level we can't possibly comprehend. He was tortured, he was beaten, he was crucified. He suffered and he died. So he knows. He knows. So whatever you're going through, Jesus knows about it because he's lived it himself. Turn to him because he didn't stay dead. Turns out he wasn't a very good dead guy. So he came back to restore all that had been lost. And he's in the process of doing that right now. This, this resurrection is actually not something that happens just at the end of time, far off in the future, only something that happens after we die. It happens now. It happens right now when we open our eyes and see that it's Jesus standing right next to us. How many times is Jesus standing right next to us in one way or another? Maybe it's through another person. Jesus is right there and we don't recognize him. Jesus is standing right with us. Will we turn to him? Will we recognize him? Will we, will we follow him? Or we, will we continue to just sort of follow our own ways instead? No matter what you're facing, our stories, all of our stories, all of our stories get swallowed up into the grace of God that is his story. It's his story. It's the story of Jesus Christ. And so as we come to know him, our story becomes his story and his story becomes our story. And His story is that death is not the end. Death is not the end. He has put death to death. Death just wasn't arrested. Death itself was crucified. And through this amazing resurrection power of Jesus, we have hope, true hope, not hope like, well, I, gee, I sure hope it works out. That's not hope. We're talking about the kind of hope that comes from knowing that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers or any principalities, neither height nor depth nor anything else, anything else in all of creation, absolutely nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is Jesus Christ. He's alive. He is alive and he's on the loose in the world. He's alive and he's on the loose. Now, some of you that might be like, ooh, I don't know about all that. But understand that Jesus loves you, has come for you. And Jesus stands before you right in this, right in this place, like only he can. And he says the words to you, no matter what situation you might have been, no matter what vices, no matter what addiction, no matter what you might be trying to hide from God. In this moment, he comes and he says, give me your burdens. Turn to me. I will give you rest. And so will you turn to him? Because right now, the word he has for you is, come to me, my child. I forgive you. I favor you. Now come and receive this, this new life, this living water from me. This is Jesus. This is what 
he's all about. This is what he came to do. And now will you and I respond to that? Whether we've been Christians all our lives or whether we're, we're just Christians right now in this moment because we've recognized who Jesus is. He's come for all of us and he continues to be with us. He continues to lead and guide us. And it's not just he's living in some ambiguous space. He's living inside you. If you believe him and you trust him, then he's living inside of you. And, and his Holy Spirit is living in you and working through you. You are his messengers. You're his messengers of, of hope to a lost and broken and hopeless world. Jesus is alive. Will you turn to him and will you follow him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the miracle of the resurrection. Lord, we know that we don't deserve the grace and mercy that you give to us, but we're so thankful for it. We praise you and we thank you. And we know that we've fallen short, Lord, but we, we thank you that you don't leave us. You don't leave us in the curse of sin and death. You don't leave us in the snares of the devil. But instead, Lord, you have come to rescue us. You are the king, maybe not that we were expecting, Maybe not that we even want, but you are the king that we need. You are the king of glory. And Lord, it's for your glory that we surrender our lives to you. Make us your instruments of your grace and your mercy and lead us into your ways and to follow in your footsteps closer now than ever before. Make the resurrection live in us in a way that the world takes notice and says, what is going on with these people? Help us to shine your light. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done, for being our one and only king of glory. In Jesus' name.